Hey guys, you're listening to Tea Time with Tay, a podcast series where I sit down, like I have a choice, brew some tea, and then spill it. Let's start the show. This episode of Tea Time with Tay is brought to you by my company, Cup of Tay Luxury Loose Leaf Teas. Cup of Tay is a loose leaf tea company that gives back to mental health awareness causes and also delivers you the most amazing organic loose leaf teas on the market. It's my guarantee. We have the cutest packaging, very modern, and looks amazing in everyone's kitchen, office, or makes for a very great gift. To check out Cup of Tay, head to www.cupoftay.com or look for the link in our description, and it's at Cup of Tay Shop on Instagram. But enough about that and let's get right into the show. Guys, guys, we are back for another week and I cannot tell you how excited I am for my guests this week. And I think beyond even me, I know that my audience is screaming at home that this is happening. So I just should probably introduce my guest. Hi, how are you, Miss? Um, hello. So happy to be here. I have Miss Sarah Nicole Landry here from the Birds of Papaya, and I'm just so grateful to have you. Honestly, this worked out so well. We were literally chatting on IG and it just was like one of those moments where I was like, yes, let's do this. And and I try to, I'm kind of in this like weird phase where I'm like, I, I love podcasting so much and I understand how important like some of these conversations are and like bridging these gaps and, and having the opportunity to come on yours and kind of like share our communities a little bit is, is so cool. I'm going to like, at the end of this, poach you for mine. So oh <laughs> I, I need that to happen, but yeah, I'm, I'm just so excited that you invited me on and and that we're doing this. I would absolutely love to be on. But uh, beyond that, like you said, just when I reached out, I, it was kind of like a shot in the dark. And then for you to respond back as quick as you did, and it was like, bingo, bango, bongo. Next thing you know, <laughs> here we are. And we were just talking actually before we recorded how we had to, you know, do some adjustments. So I just wanted to thank mm-hmm. you for um, adjusting your schedule, being so open with me about everything and just... Yeah. I, it's one of the, I'm one of those people that you either get a response from me in five seconds or you'll probably never hear from me. So I'm like either on or off and I have a really hard, I get really overwhelmed. Like when I go back into my emails or messages, it's really hard for me to backlog. So I just kind of move forward. So I'm really glad that it just kind of happened and we were able to like lock that in so quickly. But I also like when you say about setting that and like being a shot in the dark, I still feel that way. Like I was talking to my friend about this the other day because she had all these like amazing guests on her podcast and I'm like dang like how do you get these guests on and she was like have you ever asked them and I was like well no I'm too scared <laughs> she's I like you need that to conversation ask. she was like I was telling her about how stoked I was for this and she goes um because you know it's funny because I have done um one of a couple of the girl talk days as well um with Katie mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah. she was like, oh, like Katie told, I was like, no, no, I literally just took a shot. And I think that kind of um, speaks to just like what happens when you try, right? Yes. You yes. never know. Yes. 
the worst thing that can happen, I said to myself when I was sending the email, I'm like, the worst thing that can happen is she'll not respond. And I would get it. Like, I yeah. understand. But um, I think that's a testament to just kind of how I like to live life is just kind of throw it out there and see what sticks. Yeah, I know. I need to, I remember my grade eight math teacher, um, <laughs> he would always say to us, before a test, everyone would be so stressed out. And he would always say, you know what? What's the worst thing that happens? You fail. And it's like, you're right. My whole world doesn't crumble. I fail. And I think what people forget is like, when you ask a question, like nine times out of 10, that other person's probably not even going to see it. And on that one out of 10 time, if they see it, a lot of times they might be pulled to say yes. So it's like, yeah, it might feel like a little bit of a shot in the dark, but it's a shot you took, right? And it's a shot you did. And the follow-up can also be, like when you don't get a reply, like I can't tell you how many times I've said yes to something when I haven't seen it the first four times it was asked. And yeah. I'm, I think we all have to really respect that people are getting better at understanding their boundaries and capacity now. So, and that's big for me too. I say yes to things I shouldn't say yes to, but yeah. I also say no to things that are really great opportunities. And so I think that instead of us feeling bad or assuming somebody's answer, give it that shot for that one in 10 that they see it and allow them to create the boundaries that they're like, I don't have capacity for this this week. My schedule's already too full. I'm going to have to say no. And you're like, cool. I respect to you like let's move on I think we really like we build up the conversation before it ever happens and it's been huge for me even it's just so funny that you were saying like shot in the dark and I'm like this has been my whole week is like unpacking why I feel so intimidated asking people to come and be a part of something or, or DMing that one person and and saying how much I love their work or just just giving those shots right so everyone listening shoot your shot man shoot like just shot. do it I know she yeah. shot used to just be about relationships, and I'm just like, yeah. I'm my shot anywhere I go. So <laughs> I relate to that. But the reason, yes. there's so many reasons, obviously, why I wanted to talk to you. But there, to start, obviously, the conversation that kind of really lifted up your uh, platform was around body positivity and and everything surrounding that. But one thing that I loved when I was, you know, doing a lot of more back research on you was something that a conversation that you had um, with your daughter. And she, it was the time when she first saw you on a magazine. And she's like, oh my gosh, like people love you for the fact that you've lost weight. And it was kind of like that conversation of, oh, I've created this narrative. I've created this life, um, a platform surrounding us. But how do I change that and make sure that my daughter doesn't only see me for that. And I kind of wanted to just dive into how that all unfolded and how it's affected you and your content moving forward. Because I think it's a really important conversation that you had. Yeah. So going back quite a few years, I went on a weight loss journey and I lost a hundred pounds and it was quite an inspirational story for a lot of people. Cause at the time I had no money. I had no real access to things like a gym. I was a stay at home mom. So I could only do things within the means of what I could do. The layers of that unfolding and what I've unpacked now is that without access to information and proper nutrition, I was essentially overworking my body and starving myself and saying like, look, anybody can do it. 
really, really kind of messed up. I, I ended up with um, severe body issues in terms of anxiety and how I felt about myself. And on top of that, um, had had created a platform off of all of this and actually had disordered eating. And, and all the while, I was very like, well, my kids don't see this. Like, I'm very good at not talking about dieting in front of them, really protecting them. I thought I was doing everything right. But as time goes on and you start to recognize, like, I openly welcomed comments about my body. I was like, that's kind of what my platform was. So when people would see me in real life, they'd be like, congratulations, you look so good. Like, you've lost so much weight. It's amazing. Da, 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 da. So even if I wasn't bringing the diet conversation into our home, it was happening for my kids and I couldn't, I, and I was a part of that. So yeah. there was that point I've been on three magazine covers, which kind of blows my mind, but the one happened at the peak of my kind of body dysmorphic thoughts, disordered eating and all of that stuff. And, and I hadn't recognized it. And this was a huge opportunity. And the magazine, by no fault of their own, only saw me as this really incredible, uh, amazing, inspirational story and put me on the cover. And I remember being so proud of that, hiding the fact that I had kind of starved myself to even like the week leading up to that shoot. I was doing, I was like researching what cutting was so I could like at least look more toned because it was a fitness magazine. And, wow. and just kind of fake it till you make it type thing. And so when that cover came out and everyone, of course we celebrated, it was a huge deal. But when my daughter kind of said to me, like all anybody loves you for my, this is my middle daughter. And if you ever met her in real life, like she's a bit of a straight shooter. And she was just like, all anybody loves you for is your weight loss. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this is something I've created. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows what's actually going on inside. They have no idea how like torn apart I've been for years. And, and I didn't even realize it. I was just waking up to it. I just gone through this divorce after 11 years. I was yeah. restarting my life. I was learning to eat food again. And here was my own daughter saying to me, people just love you because you lost weight. And not only that, but I was noticing that the people only love you because you lost weight thing was one aspect of it. But then on the other side, people would start to come up to me in public and they would start to be almost like apologetic. They'd be like, Oh, like I really love what you've done. And like, yeah, like I've just, I've just like fallen off the wagon and I've just, Oh, you know, I'm just not feeling really good about myself. And, and they started to be like apologetic about their bodies and their lifestyles. And I started to pick up on that and recognizing if this is how people are feeling about me and this is how my daughters are narrating around me what am I doing? And, and this came at like the crux of a ton of different things, this whole like, what am I doing? And really recognizing that one, I'm going to have to gain weight. Nobody talks about that. Two, I'm going to have to be real honest about what I did to lose weight. And even though I didn't think it was deceptive, I now had new information and I knew that it was not a healthy means to lose weight or to try and like basically I was hating my body happy. I kept trying to go through things to love my body. And in the end, I was more paranoid about it than ever. I was face tuning the heck out of it. When I look back at photos, I don't even know what's real. So it really just brought apart like me saying, you know what, it's time for me to be my true self. It's time for me to stop trying to be what I think everybody wants of me because I'm not enjoying this experience. It's damaging my mental health. It's damaging my children. And I can't even imagine what it's doing to these community of women who are following me and believing and hanging on to the words I'm saying. So 
that's kind of what caused this massive change for me as I just shifted gears at a complete 180, quit dieting, quit diet culture, and started basically unlearning while people were watching me unlearn. I wasn't like an educator in it. I had no idea like of all the movements happening. I was just real time learning to love my body. I think the few important things that you said in there was um, something that I've been trying to do in my, I was to say adulthood, but my adulthood is sometimes unlearning the things that you um, once were taught. And additionally mm-hmm. for that, the importance of, because I think when you're creating content, right, you're like, okay, I'm being, a, I'm, I'm being authentic in the sense that like I authentically did lose weight, but yes. sometimes the things that you leave out just when you teach your kids about lying, it's just important. The omission of truth is just as important about um, as telling a lie. So it's like not that you intentionally deceived anyone, but by sometimes leaving out a few things, it creates this narrative where other women are like, how the hell did she do that? Because I'm trying to do that too. And it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it. Like the willingness, when we talk about unlearning, I think why that part is so important is we're always going to learn new things. We're always going to have new information. We're always going to be hearing new, new stuff, especially nowadays. And, and with the continuation of movements and information that is so widely available and put in front of our faces daily. But I really refer to it as like the first thought, thought, sorry, the first thought, second thought process our first thought is our initial learnings. They're the things that are like our gut instincts. Like that's our defense mechanism. It's the things that we tend to really grab onto. And our second thoughts are kind of like the new learnings, right? So as we go, we have to drop those first thoughts. When we start to like, when you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, like my body is really like falling apart here, or I'm really slipping. The second thought says, you know what? No, like you're actually respecting your body and you're going through exactly what you're supposed to be going through. Go and live your life. It takes a while for that first thought to start going away and being replaced by the second thought. It takes intention and time in actively unlearning that as part of your inner narrative to the point that it gets dropped. And I think that there will always be times it bubbles up. I think a lot of people, when they talk about self-love, we assume it to be a feeling. And I think anybody who's been down a path or even is on it, you're realizing it's kind of like most relationships in your life. Like if I think of the most, I'm going to take one that almost all of us have, which is like a sibling or a parent or somebody really close to us, we don't always have these like surging feelings of love for them. Our love shows up in actions. Take a romantic relationship and like, I love my husband, but I don't wake up with butterflies in my stomach every day. That's not, I don't have these like surges. I'm like, no, I show up and we do this relationship and we respect each other. But yeah, we still sit down at the end of the day and we look at our bodies and like, I just don't love it. It's like, because you're expecting this emotion, you're expecting this feeling. And the reality is you should be showing up in love instead of expecting a feeling of love. And that's where kind of the unlearning can happen. And as we recognize what does love even really mean? Where can I put myself in that? And how do I stop those first thoughts from happening and holding off from those second thoughts, really taking over and becoming those first thoughts? Because as you practice, like any type of muscle, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. I think that's the thing that took me so 
very long to learn. It's a process of, because I've never necessarily dealt uh, with a weight issue, but going from being paralyzed to having like this crazy, crazy gymnastics body to being paralyzed, not having any control of it and kind of having to submit to that has been, was one of the craziest things I ever had to do. But I always thought because of, I guess, social media that self-love you do it, you do your mantras, you look at yourself, I love myself in the mirror, and then one day it just sticks and clicks. And I love that with your content and in following you, I see the good days and I see the bad days, the days where you just having a literal crying, like just crying. And I can't, I remember a few weeks ago, you were, you were, I don't I remember specifically, but you were crying about something. And oh, I probably. Like, <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> That's fairly accurate. Yes, that is me. Um, but just crying about something and I identified with that. And because for the longest time, I was the strong person in my, everyone's life. And I would sit in my little elevator in my house and cry because I didn't want anyone to see that. And I'm like, yeah. she. Yeah, I think that's what people identify with you so much is how honest with you are. And I'm sure you hear that every single day from your yeah, audience. Yeah, but it also comes with people questioning it. I also get like, really? I think, be- oh yeah. It's so interesting because if you, have you ever watched the movie Inside Out? It's yeah. like a kid's movie. Okay. And in that whole movie, the entire time, happiness is trying to bulldoze all the other feelings. She's trying to take over and only allow happiness to be the only thought that lives prominently in this kid's mind. And as we go on, we really, sadness keeps ticking over. Sadness keeps happening. And finally, when happiness no longer can be there, sadness takes over and sadness exists to let joy back in. Sadness needs to be there. And, and that's one thing that I think I even struggled this week because Monday I was a freaking wreck. I had a pregnancy scare. I was crying all day. And, and as I start to cry, you re- it's like opening of a gates for me. It's like, I'm not just crying about this thing. I'm crying about things three years ago. I cried about things 11 years ago. It just kind of like, it's like this letting go of so many feelings that you didn't even know you were holding on to. And then the next day I was like, feeling great. I was feeling happy. I'm my bubbly self again. And there, there are times where people are like, you're such a fake, like you cry and then you're happy. And I'm like, I cry. And then I'm happy. I'm happy because I cried. I have to allow both because, and and that's genuinely who I am and, and what I try and represent. And I have to kind of let those naysayers happen. I think with women, we're t- to kind of build our emotion because, and, and I used to align with this. I used to say like, you know, if you don't show up as a strong woman in the workplace, we're never going to be respected the same way. And the thing is we need to allow people to be people and still understand that that's strength. We, st- we need to push forward in a way that yes, there are times and places for things, but also don't let that mean that you hold all your emotions in with a gate because what happens? I try and like visual, I'm not big, I'm not a big like meditator or mantra person or anything, but I try and visualize my body as having a physical gate in the middle of it. And what happens when feelings, emotions, thoughts are flowing through and there's a gate there? Well, it'll get stopped. And that's fine. You might have it, you might have it closed for a moment while you're dealing with something else. When I used to work in a serving job, I was like in the middle of my divorce. There was no choice. You had to show up with a smile and serve. So you kind of got used to closing the gate. 
But as things go, things build and build and build and build and build across that gate. And then what happens is it completely busts open and explodes and you break down to a point where you might not even know. I'm someone with PTSD, so like it can happen and you don't know when it's coming and it just goes. And there's, it's really hard to recover from that. So what I've learned is, yeah, maybe sometimes I close that gate to get through or, or wait to open it when I'm ready. But just being honest about having real feelings, real emotions, and knowing that they're not, even if I present myself as like this positive, happy person, which I genuinely am, mm-hmm. I believe I am that way because I've actually allowed emotions of sadness and fear to flow. flow through me and leave and go out the other side, right? So that's kind of what, where I try and be the most genuine with because we're all figuring this out. I think I only cried for the first time as like an adult when I was like in my, maybe it was my late teens. And I remember thinking like, well, the floodgates are open. I'm crying at everything now. Yeah. But I, my kids laugh at me. I cry at like all these commercials, <laughs> but I just think it's, I think it's sweet to feel so much. So instead of being sorry for feeling so much, I kind of honor it. Like, I think it's cool that I get emotional when the, the leaves fall a certain way or that I get emotional when I, when I see my kids do something for the first time. That, that means that I'm feeling it all and it's okay to feel it all. And it, yeah, and it really is okay to feel. And they always say it's okay not to be okay, but they always act like it's not okay to show it. And yes, I appreciate you uh, being so open and showing it because we all say it, but we don't always show it. Um, But in showing it and being so open and having such a massive platform, how do you navigate that with your children? Like, how are they? Because inadvertently, you're sharing bits and parts of their life. So how are they handling your fame, their, their fame through ways of that too? You know, I, I got to hand it to them. They're so friggin' stellar. First yeah. of all, I give my kids consent. So they have this full option to be a part of something or not. I don't share stories without them knowing about it. I don't talk about my divorce in terms of details because I honor that that's also their story. We have a lot of like boundaries there, but my oldest daughter, she's so funny because she has her own IG. And of course, over the years, people have found it and picked it up and started to message her and be like, Hey, like tell your mom this and tell your mom that. And she flat out just put in her story. She's like, listen, don't follow me to talk to my mom. I'm my own person, honor that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I would be so wedding to say that at 14. So they, they're so strong in who they are and developing those emotions. And I, what I really tried to do is knowing how much, and like my parents were really good at nourishing me as well. It's just that I was really bad at allowing myself to be myself. And so I, I really look at them and try and like encourage them in their differences, encourage them in their voices and not try and police them. I said to my daughter, I'm like, listen, here's the thing. Like I am a influence in your life. I am not the master of your life. I do not hold the maps to your life and what's going on. I can sit on the sidelines and I can help you navigate. You can pull the car over and I might help you get back on that road, but you're the only one in the driver's seat who can truly make these decisions. So when it comes to like who I am online, like they've also had to learn that the things I show and the things I share are out of my own choices. Just like I respect, of course, there's limitations, they're children, they need parents, they need that guidance. (laughs) But ultimately, 
we're, we're learning to respect each other. And I think that this, this came pretty early on when, you know, I first started doing underwear modeling and stuff like that. And my son was like, I don't want you doing that. And I was like, that's okay. But like you sit with that discomfort. Let's talk about that. Let's have that conversation. But ultimately, like, I need you to respect what I'm choosing to do and that this is really making an impact on many women. And let's look at the bigger picture. And you know, what's so funny about that is that was maybe his initial reaction but down the line I was in a bathing suit on a cover of a magazine and he I found it in his backpack one day and I was like why is this he's like I brought it for my show and tell so I was like they they learn respect and then they learn to be proud and I think that's we're almost in this I've been parenting myself while parenting them and so just honoring each other yeah, it's just like this this great honoring. My oldest is really into something into cosplay and I have I've literally to this day I really don't understand it, but I, I think I just try and operate on how can we be supportive even when we don't understand the other person, even when we don't fully like I don't enjoy cosplay. I don't enjoy that whole scene, but how can I bring her and show up to all of her conventions, help with her costumes, make help her- make sure that she, yeah, like help her be supportive and so we just, and, and to be honest, like they truly, they might have gripes at times about the fact that their friends know things about us and stuff like that, but they're truly my biggest fans and like my biggest advocates. And the, the truth of it is as well, I don't know that they remember a life without this being part of it because my son wasn't even born yet. I started the Birds Papaya born out of my daughter's nicknames, Maya Papaya and Gemma Birdie. Oh, yeah back when they were one and three. So I don't even know that they remember a life when we weren't storytelling. And I think they understand it's not just about like going and and airing all your dirty laundry. We have a lot of things we still hold dear, but understanding that when you have gifts as storytellers and as creatives, how can you use that and what can we do with it? And so they've kind of been able to watch this journey with me as it's kind of become what it is and, and cheer me on with it. So it's really not been too tricky. I think obviously over the years I struggled with, I just wanted my kids in pictures and, and learning to honor their own consent with it and, and really being an advocate for kids consent in content. Like I'm having a baby and I will post the crap out of that baby. But when <laughs> she is old enough to say, I don't want that picture posted, I'm going to be like, all right, you're not going to have that picture posted. And that's that, right? So really just honoring that as much as we can. Yeah. And so with being, having this platform, having your children and being so open and uh, positive and uh, authentic with your content, when we talk about controversial topics such as our bodies, but then we fast forward to 2020 and coming into another very controversial time that nobody really saw blowing up in the media the way it did. How was it for you as a content creator, being a white content creator, being thrusted into the whole Black Lives Matter movement? And um, I'm asking because out of all of the content creators that I follow, the way that you navigated it was so it it was so great to see as a follower because I saw you stumble and I saw you have to figure out 
how to move forward with that. And the things that you've done since, I'll touch on it in a bit, but the initial reaction from you and your followers and being thrusted into it, how is that for you? I mean, if you didn't wake up with a pit in your stomach and a bit of panic, I don't know that you fully woke up the same day I did. <laughs> it was, it, it would be wrong of me to sit and say, you know what? It was just such a great opportunity. No, it was a panic. It was a bit of a panic button on society. We needed to do something. All eyes are watching. What is everybody going to do? But I've gotten so comfortable with shame and I've gotten so acquainted with it that I was okay to sit in it and to be wrong. I have learned that there is no such thing as failure if every failure is a lesson. So instead of, and and I think there was also this part of, is it okay to speak or is it a time to be quiet? So I kind of, I would share only in my stories, but my posts, I chose to go quiet. And that was because I didn't have the information. I was not going to be an information sharer when I didn't have it. So I really just took a seat. I went and started taking some really in-depth classes. I started really getting comfortable with how uncomfortable I was and this willingness to be wrong, this willingness to say one thing and the next day say, you know what? I, was I think wrong. I got that wrong. Yeah. And that's okay because now you know what? We're going to learn from that and we're going to learn different things. And and I think for me what was so hard is is knowing not just the right things to say, but how do we create actual change? How do we create real long-term stuff? So I made commitments that I mean, I signed up for courses that aren't even starting for a year. So I knew that I would have something long-term. We went to a business level, made sure that there was complete changes done to the entire structure and, and posting those publicly so that it wasn't just to be for show, but to show that this is what is going to happen moving forward. And this is something that, you know, I think as we go on, And I think it's important that we are going on, but that the core things and the stuff that's happening behind the scenes that's not performative, that we're not seeing in our posts, are truly making those differences. And I think if you're, you're the only one who knows that you're the, we're the only ones that can, can truly answer to that and say it in, in, with the integrity that we have, like I'm continuing to do the work or I'm not. And I think a lot of people really just wanted to get through that feeling of panic, get through that feeling of anxiousness and shame, and just skip ahead to the comforts of scrolling your feed again and having it be about anything else. And it took, it was like, what, two weeks before that happened. And it was, it was really easy. Like I was one of those people, I was like, oh, there's a bit of a okay, we've got normalcies happening. We've got normalcies happening. And then it was like, wait, why am I feeling so comfortable? And that's, that's where you recognize again, this is my privilege to feel comfortable. There are still people sitting in this pain, step back into that discomfort, go back into the, to, to everything that we need to be unlearning because this is not an overnight thing. It's not a two week thing. I hate that it even became in a way a movement because then it felt so, like the like movements are, yeah, like I didn't want it to come and go. I wanted it to be this new standard. And I think that's what's happened is regardless of the movement, when you look back in history, 
and like what I right after it was also Pride Month and and it really brought forward the history of where Pride started. And you recognize, you know what? Something like 20, 30 years ago in a movement actually changes the rest of time. So we need to look at this not just as a two-week thing, but at this moment of history and in time where everything kind of changed and what can we do to be a part of that change even within our discomforts, even when it's inconvenient, even when it means losing money. I read the other day that like there is an actor who, um, Benedict Cumberbatch, who will not take a role on if the woman in the movie isn't paid the same as him. And if they're not, then take it out of his budget and make it that. White women need to be doing the same thing for black women. We need to be having these conversations openly in terms of creator uh, things. I think a lot more of us have to be willing to share information in terms of our business structure to make sure that women of color are not being taken advantage of just to kind of tokenize a campaign, really asking hard questions. It, It meant turning down business. It meant turning down income. It meant actual loss for yourself so that in it, in the long term, we settle in a place where there is true change. And I think that that was really hard for a lot of people. And I think myself included, it was a, it was a weird, it was a weird couple of weeks and in a really anxious time when we're in this age of accountability, people will call you out for things so easily, but as they should, and as we're learning, and I think there's a way about it. Um, one of my closest friends, Avery was, was somebody who called me in on race topics about a year ago. And she's, I call her a friend. Yeah. Yeah. I call her a friend because she didn't do that because she was trying to tear me down. She did it because she saw an opportunity to build me up with new information. And I think that that's, if we just change our perspective on people aren't attacking you, they're building you up. They're giving you new information. They're helping you see and, and just kind of having grace for each other as we go through those discomfort and for many people journeying through the shame of getting it wrong perhaps for the first time exactly and I think what that's why people have um I know that there's been a lot of people in the black community who have navigated and gravitated to you because of that because it wasn't always right because you didn't get it necessarily um yeah because you were so honest about having to take a step back and really figure it out and I I am not going to publicly say anybody else but I think there's been very public um, examples of what happens when you take everything personally right away from the beginning and other big creators and what happens when you don't when you allow your privilege to not humble you and um, it's unfortunate that, that these things happen but I think they serve as an example of just you know the times and people are looking for people to say, I don't have all the answers, please help guide me. But also beyond help guiding me, I'm going to figure this out myself and educate myself. Because like you said, moving yes. into June, uh, was it June? Moving into Pride Month, I also yeah. had to learn a few things about um, yeah. Stonewall and then moving into disability. I didn't even know there's something called disability pride the next week. Yeah. Yeah. I just learned that too. Right. And look, <laughs> like we are in such an age of information, but I think the one thing that people really struggled with is that they felt like a lot of, I'm, I'm speaking to white women. Um, they felt like 
why aren't black women trusting us? Like we're doing what we're doing. We're trying our best. Why aren't you trusting us? And it's like, actually, because they have no reason to, yeah. they don't have a reason to. So I kind of, I kind of had, yeah, I kind of had to keep reminding myself and reminding others, like, it's okay if black women are angry at you right now, or they do not trust you. Mm-hmm earn it. Like you, this is not your place to be like, I deserve that comfort of feeling trusted. We haven't trusted black women in spaces for so long. We still have issues. Like I took a bias to a Harvard bias test that like showed that I had internal bias towards like black folks. And so every time when we start realizing if you're on the street late at night and you see somebody who's black coming towards you and you feel the urge to cross the street, that's a bias that lives within you and says that person's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Recognizing through this movement that now we were positioned to be, to be the people that were dangerous and how uncomfortable that was and to be untrusted, how uncomfortable that was. And to be like, how can you not trust me? I didn't do anything wrong. That's the feeling yeah, that black people that's have been existing in. Yeah, that, that's the thing. And people so have really also letting been like, people. Yeah. yeah, people have always been like, you know, why is that trust not theirs? Like, if you had to live hundreds and hundreds of years of feeling like your voice wasn't heard, and then now your voice is being heard, you might peek your head around the corner and be like, are you sure? Are you sure? Say yeah. That. Because I don't know. <laughs> like, true. why are you doing that? I, I was talking with my one friend and um, she's a black woman and, and she was like, I'm getting all these offers and these opportunities and it's not very exciting. I deserved this work before mm-hmm. and now I feel like they're doing it to just try and get it right. And it was like, yeah, I don't even know how that must feel to feel suddenly that you're valued for your skin when before you were discriminated against it and, and really digesting how that must feel and, and recognizing that we will never know. And so what can you do to better yourself so that it just bleeds out of you as a person, as a human being, you know, we talk about disability. It wasn't until I actually actively followed those who were disabled to start recognizing, wow, there's a really huge lack of ramps around. And like, isn't it amazing how, like, I remember my friend Kenzie, she was like, it's, it's incredible. She was talking about something about how she would see brands do, um, campaigns and stuff. And they would include somebody who was disabled to like have this diverse campaign and to make sure that they were supported creators and all this stuff. And she's like, but then they'd run an event that didn't have ramps. And I'm like, oh, that's so true. Like we, it's more than just being inclusive. It's being aware. And how would I be aware of lack of ramps when I can easily walk upstairs wherever I go? It's not until you start following people who are disabled that you can start seeing these issues. So you know what you can be, you with the walking legs can be the person that goes and says, we really need a ramp here. Like this needs to exist. Like this isn't accessible for everyone. That's such a simple fix. We should totally do that and make sure. Mother's behalf. um, Yes. You follow, oh gosh, her Instagram's evading me right now. Something Rapunzel. The wheelchair Rapunzel. Yeah, wheelchair Rapunzel. I am in a wheelchair myself and my friends all obviously have lived this life with me and have seen all the crazy injustices and whatever. But my friend the other day, she's like, oh, did you see her post? Because she posted how somebody left on their sidewalk, I guess, their yes. class to be picked up, which meant, which I've encountered, you had to go all the way around. And I had so many people be like, oh, my God, I'm not going to do that. And 
those little things and little acts of awareness, whether it be race, whether it be disability, is exactly what we need right now. And if mm-hmm. we fill our feeds with people who don't look like us, that is what makes a difference. And those little things you'll probably be more aware next time you put out the trash or your husband puts 100%. out the trash. I remember when I used to work in, I did like discrimination training at this serving job that I used to work at. And he would, and my boss said to me, now, if somebody is walking up to the door and they're in a wheelchair, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to go and open it for them. And he said, okay, but wrong. And I was like, well, why wouldn't I open the door? They clearly need the door open. And he's like, because now you've discriminated against that one person deciding they need that door open for them. So what do we do instead? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, we open the door for everybody. Yeah. And I, it's kind of stuck with me, like, right? Like instead of just like, Oh, let me rush and like pull out a ramp and like help you. How do we actually treat everybody equally so that everyone gets the experience of being a human being going out to dinner, having these different, and it, it just really woke me up to like, even assuming what's, what is a need, it can be discriminatory too. Right. And I think this is why it's increasingly important to not just say that you're an ally, hire people, hire people that are like hire women of color, hire black women, hire them as executives, hire, um, like outsource, you know, people who understand disability and making sure that these, that that's part of your business structure. I'm just like small fries, but like, these are like the things, if I ever get to the point of like hiring a team are at the top of my list in terms of how can we make sure that we are seeing the needs of people without having to feel like we need to know it all. There are people who live it and exist in it and they, we shouldn't consider them resources, but they are incredible at being able to um, be hired and have awareness for these different things if they want to have that. I, I, I think that's one thing we've learned too, is we can't just assume that everyone in a wheelchair is like a discrimination, like, like advocate and knows what they're doing or a great resource to ask. But if those conversations are available or if somebody like I'm assuming and I'm going to like go ahead on that assumption that there are a lot of people with that information. There are a lot of people willing to be hired for those types of consultations and being willing to kind of expand ourselves in a way of actually outsourcing that stuff. And instead of going and using people as resources, it's all online. Like I love um, Jenny, Jenny J. She's always like, it's free 99 on Google. Like I love when she said that. I was like, oh, it's so true. We, so true. We, we can't complain about having a lack of information when we live in an age of information. Yeah. Exactly. And with all of those heavy talkets, not to go into an even heavier one, but the one thing before I know, it's crazy how fast time flies. We wrap things up, which is a huge thing that's going on in your life. I could be, be remiss to not congratulate you on your pregnancy Thank you. and baby number four being on the way and oh. baby number four also being um I love that you said that you're gonna announce the sex but not mm-hmm. the gender of your mm-hmm. baby the little baby papaya a um, little papaya and we're still kind of, gonna go with like the she and like saying yeah. girl because that is like their medically assigned sex I think I just wanted to bring about the conversation of mm-hmm. gender isn't something that we can assume at birth so we'll let that child like as, like make that decision when they want so yes I'm going to have a daughter until she tells me otherwise amazing and just how's that journey been like for you being 
pregnant again, especially after having three kids that are kind of, like you said, independent, doing their thing, can make their own snacks, playing, yeah. playing games and yeah. busted back to day one. Back to, back to day one. Yeah. I mean, this has been an ongoing topic ever since Shane and I were dating and then got married a year and a half ago. I, before, Beautiful was the stay-at-home mom. What's that? Beautiful wedding, by the way. Oh, thank you. I loved it. It was a great yeah. day. But we had, um, he, he doesn't have this internal pull to have his own children. And I wasn't sure. It never was really an option on the table for me to want to do again. I had these three beautiful kids, but it just kept being this conversation over and over and over again. But the big thing is I before didn't have a career. I was a stay-at-home mom and I was like, I don't want to let go of XYZ because I'm having a child. And I was ridden with fear and past experiences that having a baby meant sacrifice. It just means giving up your dreams. It means giving up all of this stuff. And, and so I really had to work through that because to be completely honest, it was, I was a little bit controlling about in terms of whether or not we would have a child. Cause Shane was very much like, whatever you want, that's what we'll do. And I couldn't let go of that control. So when we talked about this year, knowing that, you know, I'm time is not really on my side anymore knowing that it was going to be probably difficult. I, I had to really, I, I didn't let go of the fear, to be honest. I, we ended oh, up crying yeah. on a, on days that were a 5% odd. So I was tracking my fertility and I was like, there, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, you've got your 5% chance. Mm-hmm. And it happened. And immediately the feelings were not joyous. They were so, I was so scared. And immediately it was like, what about childcare? What about my work? What about this? What about that? And Shane just looked at me and he's like, this can look any, any way you want it to. This does not have to look the way it did for you before. And even if you enjoyed it before and there was parts of it you loved, like this doesn't have to look this way. There are successful working mothers out there in the world and whatever it is that we need to do to create that support so that you still feel that, like, let's go with that. So it took me a little bit to settle into, okay, I'm allowed to say now, yes, I want this. Yes, I want this child. I want to move forward. And, and realizing that all along, that's all I wanted. I actually really did want this child, but I was so scared about my body changing. I was so scared about my career changing, my comforts changing. And those would have been totally valid to say, I don't want to have a baby because I feel like I'm too selfish that would have been valid. It would have been valid to say that and to feel it and to not a want lot kids. Of women feel like that. A, a 100%. lot of women feel like, yeah. I don't want to have to, because I think sometimes it does, like you said, feel like you have to give up everything, but it there does. are women who are just like, I don't want that right now. Yeah. And I don't want it. I still want to go on vacation. I still yeah. love doing all of these things. And so <laughs> really stepping into understanding that it doesn't have to look one way. We can still go on vacations. We can still have careers. We can both work. We can both do these things. And we can also start, you know, acquiring more help and asking for more help and and being better with that to be in a position to have the privilege to have help. Right. And, and knowing those differences this time and really, really stepping back into the joy. That's one thing I talked about this week was the fact that I feel like I've held myself back this entire time from feeling joyous because it was like, I didn't want to admit that I wanted a child. So therefore I never wanted to try. 
When we got pregnant, I didn't want to admit that I wanted that I was excited because I was, I was afraid of losing it. And then finally getting into this place of we had a pregnancy scare, I was bleeding, we thought we were losing the baby and to really go back into, I want this. It's okay to say it. It's okay to be vulnerable about the fact that I'm really scared about what this looks like. I'm really scared. I'm really scared about my body changing. I've been not enjoying this process. I've been really, really sick. And I have always been like, I love being pregnant. Pregnancy is the best. And I've been like down and out for months now. It's, it's challenged me in so many different ways, but I have to trust this because I know this is what I want at the end of the day. And we're so there's, there's actually a side story. I haven't even like told this openly yet, but 11 years ago, my grandmother who has since passed was like one of my best friends. And she was, I was pregnant with Bowden and we were, and I had no idea it was a boy. I had sworn it was a girl. I already had named him. His name was going to be Hadley. Like we already were like ready. It was a third girl. I knew it was good. Like this was in my gut, knew it was a girl. And she was like, nope, you're having the same birth order as me. And her birth order was girl, girl, boy, long gap. There was eight years and then another girl. So she was like, you're going to have the same birth order as me. And I was like, whatever. And she just like kept buying gifts. And I remember, I remember calling her the day we found out he was a boy and I called her and, and I said, we found out. And she's like, I already told you, like, I don't know why you're even calling. You know, I know. And I was like, gosh, you're so cocky. But like, it was so All funny right. to tell her she was right. So then when I, since I've been pregnant, I've been having these like, first of all, our maternity shoot had these like weird light orbs in it. And I, and I'm not usually one of these like woo woo type of people that like buys into this, but I was like, it's not just in one shot. It's in multiple shots, different spots, always around me, always around my stomach. And when you looked up the meaning of like a red or orange orb, it's like a caretaker potentially visiting. And I was like, so overwhelmed. And like, I don't even care if that's just me being wishful. Then I started having vivid dreams and she would come to me and be like, I told you so. And she was laughing and like, I, I told you it would be a girl. I told you all of this would happen and just really la- almost like laughing at me that I didn't trust her. And so like, when I told you all those years ago, all those like 11 <laughs> years ago. So when I got the call from a doctor last week and, and she said, would you like to know the sex? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, female. I just like started laughing. I was like, yeah, you've got to be kidding me. So it's been, it's so cool to have something that she said 11 years ago, not only be want, right once, but twice also in timeline and everything. And just to be able to now experience this all again and, and really understand that this is not going to look the same way it did before. It doesn't mean that I'm going back to the weeds and I don't get to exist in a garden. Yes, there's going to be challenges. I have to be realistic, but I'm so excited. The kids are so excited. We have so excited. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be like 15, 13 and 11 next year with a baby sister. Like, are you kidding me? They're going to, my middle daughter's like, here's what I'm doing on my TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they're just so in and yeah how's gonna go this, this baby's got a lot of love coming for it and you know what I'm very much a advocate of don't let women raise children alone like be a village be a village so that 
should she ever feel so and like that that applies to everybody if you are not somebody who needs a village be the village like what does that look like and it, and it doesn't mean that you have to have money or access or all of these different things it can be as simple as just checking in on her reminding her of her as an individual not just asking her about her kids but asking her about her and inviting her to things even though you know she has kids and maybe lack of childcare, exactly. showing up and just like being that village whatever it looks like and and really recognizing that I'm stepping into this new chapter and I will not be raising this child alone. I will be raising it with a village of people and I will not downgrade my role, but I also won't upplay it to the point where I don't accept help. And so I'm really kind of looking forward to redefining what motherhood looks for me and, and having an entirely new experience with it. I think that's like such a good thing to end on is, you know, you are in every way, shape, and form, redefining what authentic body should look like, redefining what it is to be um, a mother who has brought kids into a second marriage, redefining what it looks like to be a white woman navigating racial, the biggest like racial conversation in this world, and a mother redefining motherhood again. And again. Yeah, so I appreciate that. And the very, very last thing, like a one-minute touch on, we touched on so many listener questions. That's usually like our last part. We touched on so many of them already, which is so great. The one question that kept popping up was people asking, your best one piece of advice if they wanted to start their little, <laughs> I know it's so funny because I want to do this too, little uh, chipmunk squirrel adventure in their backyard. But one okay. for somebody who wants to, if you don't know what I'm talking about, head o- people already know, but head over to her page. She has a lovely friend in her backyard. Start with I locally source one. They're available. I've even seen them at Value Village. A little tiny picnic table. Yeah. And just start putting out nuts for them. Research what nuts are good for them. I've been scolded on g- giving the wrong nuts. Walnuts are their favorite. Yeah. And we're like building trust relationships with them. It's been the most entertaining part of my summer, so to be fun. honest. Like, But yesterday, so wild, I was sitting in my living room and the squirrel who will never usually come within 20 feet of me was on the screen door like this, like, where the hell are you with my nuts? And so we're, we're bridging gaps. It's a very um, one-sided relationship right now. Um, bit of a dick, to be honest, that's not, it is very selfish. Chippy, the chipmunk will actually sit at the table in the morning and just with his paws, like, like clap, like clap together, sitting at the table waiting for his nuts in the morning. So chipmunks, I highly recommend if you have any control over it, but you put out nuts, they will come and it will be, you'll feel like a Disney princess eventually. That's what I'm hoping for. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. I'm going to definitely try it and maybe document my journey as well. Oh my gosh, please do. Well, so fun. Everything you have going on, thank you so much for taking your time to be on my podcast and um, for being such a great light in a social media world. And I just, again, congratulations to you and your entire family on the impending baby. And I'm just like wishing you all the well and like God last year journey with that and oh my gosh so much for being on 
Yeah, I'm so happy. And thanks everyone for submitting questions too. It's always yeah. fun to like we ask the questions that people really want to ask. So that it, it, this has been so nice. It's been such a lovely chat with you. And I'm going to bug you afterwards. We're setting up a time sometime in the next couple months where you're going to come yeah. on my pod. I'm poaching you. So totally. <laughs> I'm stoked. I'm so stoked. Yeah. Thank you so much, hon. No problem. Well, guys, you can find all of her links down below in the description. And of course, you can find me at TaylorLN, as I always am. And yeah, I guess I will see you guys on the next one. So thank you so much and see you next week. Once again, thank you so much for listening. This episode was brought to you by my company, Cup of Tay Luxury Loose Leaf Teas. It is the most amazing, delicious organic teas on the market. We have green teas, black teas, white teas, dessert teas, everything that you could want in one place. Head over to cupoftea.com, that's C-U-P-O-F-T-E.com, or at Cup of Tea Shop on Instagram and all other social media handles. The link is also in the description. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Slave trick, are you getting-